Hello and welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I am co-host Gabriel Krauser. And I'm other co-host Nicholas Lorimer. And we are coming to you from a bright spring Sunday morning. We initially tried to do this on Friday, but the We did do it on Friday. We did. Was... We shot a podcast on Friday. <laughs> we went yeah, so we, we... We did. We did. We did actually manage to 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 get it out on to get it there on time. But then Gabriel had uh, uh, editorial doubts. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I doubted us because we weren't speaking English by about three minutes into the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and the reason is that basically it's just like gotten to the stage where madness is the means and the ends of sort of every major event and institution and uh, aspect of public life that I turn my eye to. And uh, I think the madness got right inside my brain. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. Uh, I think this is a, a feeling that a lot of people can probably relate to. 2020 has been a little bit of a, uh, what is it the kids say these days? A spicy Woo! year. Yeah, it's been the spice. You know, you know when you have like a contest with your friend, like who can eat the most chilies or the most wasabi yeah. or something. And it starts out being fun, but because the point of the mission is not actually to enjoy your food, it's just to like outdo the next guy. Uh, you end up sort of crying and vomiting and like setting yourself up for awful diarrhea for weeks. <laughs> well, I mean, I must be honest, I've never been as committed to a chili eating contest as to get to that level, but I, I get the sentiment you're going for. Yeah. I, I, I have twice, once with chilies, once with wasabi. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's 2020. That's how 2020 is feeling to me. It is, yeah. it is a spicy eating contest of epic proportions. I'll tell you one thing, uh, New, Year's, New Year's is going to be some, something of a celebration. Oh, oh my god. Everyone's going to pretend like it. everything that's gone wrong this year was just an anomaly and we're all going to party like like the world is ending. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to party like I think we're going to party like the world's starting afresh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As and though we, as though it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be wrong, but we will do that anyway. I can I know yeah. it. I know it. So 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 the sort of I think part of part of what's been driving us mad is just sort of reflecting on the fact that in our minds, South Africa is a country. Uh, but in reality, mm. like the evidence is starting to stack up against that. Okay. And it just, it's kind of hard to come to terms with the fact that this might not even be a country. Never mind good country, bad country. It's just like, does this qualify as a country in the first place? And I think the thing that triggered it for us was a new tender that's been put out by ESCOM. Yes, which is, uh, if any of you were hoping were, uh, for some reason that uh, load shedding was not going to be a thing that we were going to have to live with for a very long time, uh, it was for the headquarters of ESCOM's Megawatt Park, where they are looking to get several very large generators installed in the near future. So, Easy. yes. So if you were... If you were wondering uh, uh, whether we were going to be saved from ESCOM by some uh, by some or load shedding by some miracle, then uh, I'm afraid that ESCOM disagrees with you. Yeah, ESCOM cannot run its own accounts department's laptops without a backup diesel generator, and I mean it's just crazy. And how else will they keep track of all the money they're losing? 
<laughs> and uh, to make matters worse, I sent this uh, tender. We, we just a colleague of ours drew attention to the tender uh, for for the diesel backup generator that had been put up online. And I sent it to a friend of mine who used to work at ESCON. And he rolled on the floor laughing uh, about the fact that a company that in the 90s, uh, after transition, uh, was one of the best utilities in the world, had the greatest energy surplus, was producing electricity for the cheapest. Uh, you know, there was a lot of synergy between new staff and old staff, a lot of goodwill. And uh, yeah, so basically with the world's best cold-fired and nuclear backup, uh, these guys can't 20 years later run a run a laptop without a, without a diesel generator. But on top of that, my friend pointed out that Megawatt Park, the headquarters for ESCOM where they're looking for these backup generators, already has a huge installation of solar panels that are yes. supposed to be uh, so giving it the... <laughs> The backup electricity I'm, that it needs. I'm glad to see that that was money well spent. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's almost like that time Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the roof of the White House and said, uh, by the time I'm done with the presidency, you know, these are going to be uh, providing electricity at a cheaper rate than uh, the, the current standard offerings, uh, which waiting. 40 years later is still not true. So they took down, the, eventually they took them down. Uh, but at least they took them down and sold them like <laughs> megawatt parks just in another planet. And then to make matters worse, I, I told my fiance uh, about this and she said, oh, this reminds me, this is not a surprise because you also had that uh, police department, which was hiring private security, not just to guard the community, but also to guard the police headquarters, uh, which I think well, is... Well, of course, there's gem. police. I mean, the people who are most likely to steal things from the police station are the police. Makes sense to have private security. So they, yeah, but I mean, they weren't even getting the private security to stop the police from stealing from themselves. They were getting the private security to get other people to from robbing the police station. Like, this is not... When the police needed a higher yeah, private security but, company but Gabriel, but to Gabriel, guard the police station... It's you're not forgetting that doing police work is quite scary, dangerous, and difficult. No, I'm not forgetting. I, Nick, I remember you told a nice story about a, a police uh, station next to a bank. Yes, I'm not sure I'm not sure whether it's true or not, or whether this is the fevered imaginations of me confusing some things. But I have a memory of a South African town where a uh, a bank was next to a police station and uh, the bank was robbed and there was a shootout and much drama. And the end, a local sort of militia of vigilantes and odd bits and private security guards drives the uh, the bank robbers out. The bank robbers flee with their money. And the townsfolk go up to the police station to knock on the door and discover that all the police were hiding beneath their desks, waiting for the all clear from the town <laughs> as to whether they could come out. So that's good. It is amazing. And it also kind of, uh, so if you think it's just at the level of execution it's also at the level of uh, what the rules are that are supposed to be executed and protected uh, our colleague dr antia jeffrey our esteemed wonder gemstone diamond uh the operation yeah and the backbone yes uh her backbone is the whole than... nervous system really yeah yeah 
she 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 reported on a finding by a ruling by the Western Cape High Court that not only are evictions uh, unenforceable during the lockdown, which by the way could continue for another year, like as long as there's any lockdown regulations at all, we're still at level two. We could be level two, level one for another year easily. And as long as that's Ooh. the case, you cannot evict anyone. And not only that, even if they haven't moved in, if they've just put their stuff on a property, you cannot remove their stuff. So what you're saying is that the National Democratic Revolution of the ANC tried for decades to slowly undermine property rights, to boil the frog, to slowly wind back the the, the edifice of capitalism in this country. And they were just leapfrogged by two judges in the Western Cape High Court. Indeed. Indeed, very well put. The frog boilers have been leapfrogged. And it's and it's kind of crazy. Like, you can't evict someone even if they haven't moved in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's a, this is, a nice, this is nice, very, nice place to be in. It's very, very next level. Um, uh, and, and, and that will seem to be sort of held together by this odd line from that TV show called House, uh, where one of the things that he'd often do is be like, What's cancer but isn't cancer? You know, because there'd be some pathology that's infecting someone and it's showing all the symptoms of cancer, but they've ruled out cancer, so it's got to be lupus or something else. And, and, and this is, you know, we've got property rights that aren't property rights. We've got police that aren't police. We've got uh, an, a, an electricity utility that is not an electricity utility. Uh, and, and, and so I'm starting to wonder whether we've got a country that's not a country. Uh, whether th this is this is something I else, think, and I think further further study might be required, but early hypothesis suggests. Yeah, correct. And underlying this all is the ANC, and one of the most bitter jokes about the ANC, which has been attributed to various sources, and at this stage might just be an aphorism of this country, which is not a country, is that the ANC has managed to do more to disrupt power delivery to ordinary South Africans when it's been in charge of the state-owned enterprise than in the four decades or three decades when it was literally trying to blow up power stations. So it's done a better job of blowing up ESCOM by leading it than it did by trying to blow it up. And that sounds like, I mean, there's something very harsh about it um, and, there's, and there's something to reflect upon. And and I think that leads us to our main topic of discussion, which is the state of the ANC, which is currently having its sort of major conference. Uh, and the, the the news has been very hot because leading into that conference last week, Soro Ramaphosa, the spokesperson for the National Command Council uh, and also the leader <laughs> of the ANC and uh, sometimes the president of the country, uh, wrote a stern letter to his comrades saying, look, guys, uh, please don't be corrupt. Yeah, please, and please, pretty please. Yeah, we really, we really, we really have had enough of this. You're not allowed to be corrupt. And and uh, and Jacob Zuma sh shot back on Friday, just after we did our podcast. And that was another part of the reason that we wanted to reshoot it is that we wanted to go over this 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 uh, ding dong thing. Yes, uh, because uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's Zoom Zoom is up to his tricks again. And there is a lot going on here. Uh, demonstrating yeah. why he managed to hold on to the presidency for so long, I think, in this letter. It's actually a, it's it's sort of a, it's it's kind of a masterclass in the Zuma school of politics. Yeah, if there's, if I could describe this letter in one word, 
wily. This yes. is a wily letter. That's, that's it is. Right. It's amazing. Firstly, he repeats himself endlessly. Like he takes the first three or four paragraphs to say, hello, uh, you know, you're very important and I'm just a humble servant of the, of the party and you're very important and, you know, I wouldn't want like you to send an open letter. I'm just sending this to the ANC leadership. Yes. I would never want the, I would never want the press to see this, you know, which is very I'm funny of course this. because we're reading it in the press within what hours of him sending it. <laughs> yeah, or less. <laughs> I just so let her in private. Yes. Yeah. And then he and then he goes on to say that you have described uh, in your I'm quoting now. In your letter in which you state uh, your your view uh, as one of the greatest challenges since the advent of democracy, you regrettably place the scourge of corruption right at the doorstep of ordinary members of the ANC, most of whom are the urban and rural poor working class people who have never abused state resources in their numbers. They live in abject poverty, waiting for their ever elusive better life for all that you and I promised them. And and here <laughs> Zoom is doing what... Uh, Kosasana the mini Zuma did very well in 2017, uh, sort of with Zuma's on her side, which is to pos position themselves on the side of the working class against Ramaphosa on the side of the yeah. billionaire elite the because he's a billionaire. White monopoly capital, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. One of the strange things about that is that the biggest, I mean, the Institute of Race Relations does the most consistent polling of a political nature in South Africa. And it has consistently shown that South Africans, 80% of South Africans are what most people would call conservatives. They really want uh, to protect property rights. They really want a business-friendly like environment. They like law and order a lot. Jobs, number one priority. 60% uh, in 2018 thought that talk of racism and colonialism was just a way for elites to excuse their own failures. Uh, so ordinary South Africans are not like VIT students or professors, uh, yes. generically. And so but, we're still standing. <laughs> but there's but there's a very strong tendency for media elites, academic elites, political elites to portray the working class South African as the ultimate wokeista. And uh, and and therefore anyone who speaks for the poor uh, sort of uh, entitles themselves to speak in, in these terms of uh, anti anti capitalism and uh, and and race baiting. Uh, and, and it's a very clever sleight of hand because outside of the polls, um, you know, what access do ordinary rural South Africans have to the public square to make their voices heard? So it's very easy yeah, to just drown really, out. Really not much. Um, I mean, how often do we hear about rural South Africa from a rural South African? Uh, sometimes we hear from sort of odd journalists who are stuck out in the woods or the occasional farmer. But. Pretty much, if you're a farm worker, if you're a, you know, uh, live on communal land, in in a former homeland, we're really not going to hear much from you. Yeah. So, and and this master trick, one of unless the you're in the I've ANC, got, of course. Unless you happen to be in the ANC and mm. are no longer really uh, poor or, or unempowered because you yes. run a ward. <laughs> Or you've become mayor of some place where you've stolen houses. Because you got the, you got, yeah, you got the, your cousin got the contract for building a pavement in some tiny municipality, and you're now fabulously wealthy from the proceeds of the in price inflation. 
Yeah, then you can hook up to the Twitter and and uh, and start a screed. And one of the reasons this matters is that as, as as consistent as our polling is, the biggest political polling ever done was done by EWN, uh, E News, uh, and under the leadership of R. W. Johnson, who's one of this country's preeminent intellectuals, and yeah. they found that the super majorities, like 80% of South Africans rejected radical economic transformation that either prefer sort of more of the same or more business friendly solutions. Um, and at the same time, the support for Ramaphosa over the Ramaphosa faction over the Zuma faction was something like six, seven, eight to one. So yeah. amongst ANC members, amongst the whole country, yes. it is like nine, nine to one. So this idea that Zuma is speaking for the people is, uh, Anyway, not let's just call it debunked. Yeah. So, so, so I'm going to carry on reading some of this letter here. Uh, you, uh, your letter correctly points out that you know corruption is a big deal, uh, and now he quotes Ramaphosa. What has caused the biggest outrage? is that there are private sector companies and individuals, including civil servants, who have exploited a grave medical, social, and economic crisis to wrongfully enrich themselves. You proceed to state again correctly that this is unforgivable portrayal of millions of South Africans who are being negatively impacted by COVID-19, experiencing hunger daily, hopelessness, and joblessness. Now, I think this is very wily, and I think... Uh, to understand what's really going on here, we need to talk about the Overton window. Mm. So for those of you who are perhaps unaware of the term or can't remember what it means, it's basically the sort of area, the, the, the types of arguments that are acceptable in the public discourse. So we're really asking the question, uh, what is okay to say in public that won't just get you laughed at or completely excluded from the public square? That's the Overton window. And um, the control of that Overton window is often what determines the grounds of the battle of ideas. If So, for example, in this country, BEE is largely right in the center of the Overton window. And if you go too critical of BEE, you're going to find yourself outside of that Overton window and a lot of the sort of, uh, shall we say, the tastemakers are going to shut you out of public conversation correct and uh what's going on here is that you have this clash between ramaphosa and zuma zuma's letter is completely scathing of ramaphosa we haven't gotten to that yet but here is where they agree he quotes ramaphosa as saying the greatest outrage is that there are private sector companies and individuals who've exploited the coronavirus crisis right mm. so what's missing here is the greatest outrage that like Netcare and Mediclinic have been and and Discam has been selling uh, gloves and masks and Netcare has been sort of putting people on ventilators and testing them? Absolutely not. The no. the great outrage is that public institutions, that government officials using public money, have instead of buying people what we need, uh, directing funds towards purchasing testing kits and uh medical vehicles ambulances and um uh ventilators and all the like uh that money's been squandered uh put into people's uh sort of back pockets and this here this 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 sort of point of agreement between zuma and ramaphosa within this bigger disagreement this is a very very good example 
of contracting the Overton window to say, look, there's huge, intense battle going on within the ANC. And so that makes it seem as if there's freedom of speech. It makes it seem as if there's this sort of diversity of ideas and all good ideas are really on the table. But the thing that's really. been totally ruled out mm. is, 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 the, is the frustration that people have towards politicians that have been corrupt in this time. And it's, I'm not saying there's a particularly successful event attempt right now, but I am suggesting that if you, 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 you look at this letter and Ramaphosa's letter, and between those two, I think you'll find the script for how a lot of the professional media tries to run the story of the coronavirus pandemic for the next three years leading to the 2024 election. And what's left out between these two is what those uh, sort of parrots and stenographers of the government will also try to leave out in the name of a robust fifth estate media. Yeah. Okay. On to, on to the next. So that's Overton window. Uh, and it's very important to remember that, like, even if the ANC is at each other's throats, it's not to say that there's a sort of, uh, you know, that, that between the two of them, they're actually covering the entire ground of reason. Um, yeah, so, I think I think as all cynics will agree, uh, this is a fight over who gets to divide the pie into which pieces, rather than whether the pie should be divided at all. Yeah, very good. So Zuma then moves on to explaining sort of his claim that that corruption is 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 a problem, and he's very serious about corruption himself. And in 2012, <laughs> the ANC resolved at Bloemfontein at the Machaung conference where he was re-elected to make corruption a serious priority, uh, but he's got a but here. There's, a, there's an old saying that everything that comes before the but can be safely ignored. <laughs> <laughs> he says the issue is that uh, it's not about the individual, it's not about the party. The party is not the problem. The individual's are the problem. Mm. How, Mr. President, your letter is fundamentally flawed in several respects and plays right into the hands of those who seek to destroy the ANC and build from its ashes a counter-revolutionary party under the guise of fighting corruption. Here again, we have a nice Overton window point. The ANC can disagree about how to go forward, but they can agree that the DA or any non-EFF party that challenges them is not offering an actual better program for a free and prosperous South Africa. It's a counter-revolutionary par party uh, that that's fighting under the guise mm. of, of, of fighting corruption. Uh, but he says, Ramaphosa betrays a lack of understanding of how the leadership of the ANC should communicate uh, within its structures. It's absolutely unjustified to attribute to the entire ANC and its ordinary members misconduct of a few individuals that have access to state power and resources as well as the ANC leadership. Mr. President, by stating that the ANC stand as accused number one in respect of the charge of corruption, you implicate thousands of innocent members of the ANC who continue to face hunger and dehumanizing poverty and have never benefited from corruption. You proceed to say that ANC should bury its head in shame. And now what's interesting here is that like a lot of people think that the ANC should bury its head in shame. But Zuma's argument is, is he's got a strong counter argument. If you're saying that every single ANC member is corrupt, how do you reconcile that with the fact that there are at least hundreds of thousands of ANC members or tens of thousands oh. of ANC members that really and, are dirt poor? Yeah, and, and really don't have access to all of the stuff and just kind of do actually probably believe in some idealized version of the movement. And he takes it a step further by saying not only are some of the current members of the ANC innocent, uh, 
There are members of the ANC in the past that are innocent. So he says, by accusing the ANC for acts committed by a few of its individual members, you betray Pixley Laisaka Seme, Saul Plaiki, John Langalibalele, uh, Langa Dube, Reverend Rubusana, Chief Albert Latuli, Dr. Alfred Kulma, Dr. Moroka, and all those who assembled in 1912 to form this glorious movement. You write for your own desires to plead for white validation and approval, the worst betrayal of Oliver Tambo, Nelson Mandela, Walter Susulu, Govan Mbeki, and others who sacrificed their own freedom for the ANC. With your pen, you desecrate the graves of young men and women who lived and died cruel deaths in the hand of apartheid security forces and mercenaries. These heroes paid the highest price fighting for our freedom and in defense of the ANC. We should therefore never implicate them when we as individuals are accused of corruption and misconduct. Now, before, before we go down some of the things here, I do want to note that the sort of ANC here takes center stage rather than South Africa. And they didn't die fighting for South Africa. They all apparently died fighting for the ANC. Mm. Mm. Yes, which is yeah. one of those little important little details there about how Zuma really views the world. Yeah. And also about how he thinks Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa views the world because uh, my assumption is that his correct assumption is that Ramaphosa's is not going to have the same thought you just did. Ramaphosa is going to feel shamed himself yes. by having somehow undermined the esteem of the ANC. And and so th this is where I want to bring us back to a concept that we talked about earlier in the year, uh, during when coronavirus lockdown was starting uh, and when the American elections were starting. Is We talked about epistemic magnetism. And this is the thought that there are some ideas that somehow suck all of the other ideas around them into like a big uh, old their, brain magnet yes it's a big old brain magnet so that like uh you know in, in the case of trump de derangement syndrome it's like so many american commentators and 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 civilians seem to have been drawn into this place where it's like you've either got positive trump uh, tds where, where you know everything that he does must be right and everything he says must be true or you've got anti-trump uh, uh tds where if he says up it must be down. If he, if he cures cancer, that must be a terrible thing because it turns out some, cancer was or as, saving or as the environment. One, yeah, or as one activist on Twitter said who was perhaps getting a bit deep in the weeds, uh, I'd vote for Hitler over Trump, which is <laughs> <laughs> perhaps um, yeah. losing their way slightly. Yeah. So, but with, so the ANC exercises great epistemic magnetism where once, once you get to uh, really – touching on the sore points, it becomes ANC, you're either pro-ANC or you're anti-ANC. Yeah. And South Africa as a, as a, as a project, as an idea, as a, as a country full of 58 million people, all of that kind of fades into the background. And I think that the right way to think about it, the, these epistemic magnets is through the esteem lens because what, what Ramaphosa... Oh, oh you've dropped sorry. your microphone, Nick. I dropped my microphone there. Mic drop. Okay. So I'll just repeat the line. <laughs> when you're looking at these epistemic magnets, remember the esteem economy. Because <laughs> what's happening here is, is that Zuma is frustrated that Ramaphosa has disesteemed the ANC. And his yes. counter is that the ANC has a long history in which there have been people who have done highly admirable or esteemable things and currently has a membership which is diverse enough to include at least some people who are esteemable or admirable, uh, at least in the sense that they are poor and are trying very hard 
to to sort of get ahead in a non-corrupt way. That must be true of lots of ANC members. Uh, and so this is a this is a very difficult thing about esteeming and disesteeming, is that there's what lawyers would call or philosophers would call there's a pro tanto estimation, an estimation as far as it goes, and then there's an in toto estimation, an estimation of the whole thing. So you might say of like Zinedine Zidane, uh, possibly the greatest sort of soccer uh, coach slash player uh, of our times, that in the please, please don't French... send us hate mail about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people no, have I'm, strong opinions about those sort of things. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to defend that claim. Um, but he, I, I think he's accomplished at the very least. Uh, but in the final, in that French final where he lost, they won the final. Uh, once when he was the captain, and then they lost it uh, in his last game, and he headbutted a guy in overtime. And apparently the guy oh, had said something nasty about his mother or something like that. Yeah, and it yeah. is a big deal. So you could say that was a shameful thing to do, right? You really, no matter how like irritated you are that you're losing and that some guy's chipped your mom, you can't headbutt a dude in the chest. <laughs> like, this yes. is soccer. That's not on. But that doesn't mean that in total he's got a disesteemable character it doesn't mean in total that he is a disgrace in fact you can remain a hero even though you've done something that's shameful and that's a very basic sort of human idea that not everyone buys into uh, but i would say that when it comes to the esteem economy it's the essential uh one of the essential building blocks for thinking about how to esteem others and and in particular when it comes to criminality uh, or just in a family, bad behavior, or in a friendship circle. Like there's some there's something about the two-step program of shaming someone first and then reintegrating them into your society where the shaming is about the action itself and saying what you did was very bad and then where the reintegration that's come after the shame punishment, uh, however far it needs to go, is about saying, but you are also more than that and you've got a, a chance to try and, and continue living a good life. Yeah, and, often and, hear this and, in, in, in American politics when they say, this is not who we are, uh, we can do better than this, we're better than this type of thing. Right, America's uh, sort of greatest uh, totem in a sense is the phoenix. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can do that's so bad that you can't rise from the ashes uh, with a great comeback story. And, and, yeah. and sometimes they end up skipping the shame bot part in between <laughs> yes <laughs> glorifying all um, kinds of terrible people i think i think that po that possibly is a sort of uh, inheritance of in their culture from their sort of deeply christian past um you know of course that's a central theme of christianity is redemption and sinfulness so it, i think Correct. it leads through to the rest of their 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 cultural life yeah i do i do i do think that their puritanism is 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 is, is uh is a big part of it um but it's but it's also something that you find across cultures, uh, yeah. and and it's and it's and and the reason I say that this is a key step for classical liberals in the esteem in thinking about esteem is 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 if you look at how team based thinking works, it's exactly the opposite. In the team based way of thinking, if you notice that someone in that team has done something bad or that team did something bad, then you just hold that against them. You never stop punishing them for it. Uh, you you know you keep dissing them about it to bring down their esteem and, and elevate your own team's esteem uh, for as long as you have breath in your lungs. Yeah. And, and likewise, if our, your if own our listeners would like to, yeah, if our listeners would like to experience this for themselves, go on Twitter and say either Barack Obama did X thing bad 
or Donald Trump did X thing bad, and you will be flooded with responses demanding, oh yeah, but what about the time that yeah. other team did something bad? Exactly. And and so and and so this is what you know. And, and what happens is those cheerleaders they get cheered on themselves. So there's like a a lot of reward for going with the team based thing, where it's not shame and then reintegration. It's rather just like for our team, yay. For the other team, boo. In perpetuity, they get a lot of rewards. Uh, whereas no the guys who try and take the particular, there's no redemption in wokeness. There's no redemption in 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 any fundamentalist sort of ideology. And, 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 and they stoke each other up. And this is part of the reason that classical liberals often find it difficult to make their voices uh, resonate across the esteem market. But so to get back to the ANC, the point here is that it shouldn't be confusing to anyone that you can say the ANC uh, is in many ways an admirable party with a great history that started in 1912 with a just cause and for decades continue to pursue that cause. And that when it was driven into the arms of the Soviet Union by the apartheid state, which had refused to heed its pleas on a reasonable basis, this was as this was, uh, you know, more the fault of the Nats than it was of the ANC themselves. And then the ANC fell into the ideology of communism, of nat national democratic revolution, and that for some of those trappings to remain as it entered 1994 is understandable and that with Nelson Mandela at Davos saying, you know, we renounce the idea of nationalizing the mines, nationalizing the banks and nationalizing the land on the pragmatic understanding that this would only make black people poorer, uh, you see even more how admirable the ANC is, that it sort of learned from its mistake in time not to implement it. And then you see that it did well, great things well. in... Yes, in the in the no, in dude, the, uh... I will under, no, I will underline this point. I've been I've been having battles about this myself with, uh, with with some people who want to insist that uh, the ANC has has done nothing but bad for the last thirty years. I say read uh, Boss Franz Krenier's book, uh, uh, A Time Traveler's Guide to to South no, Africa. I'm not, in 19, I'm not arguing with that. I'm not arguing with that. There's been uh, some good periods of economic growth and some good policies. I'm arguing more with the uh, that they learned learned their lesson in a way um, well not mandela did yeah or at least he saw that he couldn't move forward with the original plan at the time because of you know communism had just collapsed in eastern europe it's not a good time to go ahead with nationalizing everything i mean he could have other other countries did well that he just proves that it, yeah that just proves though that he has a brain <laughs> as opposed to which is an admirable uh, thing it's an admirable yes, it we an all admirable have brains thing. It, it proves that he used his brain. So the ANC, I think in Nelson Mandela, look, I agree the People's War was, 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 a, was a serious disgrace. And, and, and there's something unfortunate about the, the way that that was then smothered uh, in, in the 90s when Mandela was president um, and ever since. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to excuse the ANC's failures at all. I'm just trying to make the basic point that you can say the ANC has a great history that it's yeah, done you can some pick out great some good stuff. You can pick out a lot of good things from there. Uh, especially, and, I think I think it's uncontroversial for liberals, at least, to view the pre-communist era of the ANC as a very admirable time, for sure. And 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 a lot of the stuff since, and they've got a lot of members today that are good people, that are trying their hardest to do good things. I was going over the municipal audits. You know, the DA has got 80% of the, the clean audits and only 
15% of the municipalities in its control, but there are some ANC uh, uh, municipalities that got perfectly clean audits. Uh, and if I was if I was a, a constituent of one of those places, I would consider voting for the ANC in a branch election. If you know, if I'm voting for a guy who's getting a good clean audit, uh, and all of that is consistent with the thought that the ANC should hang its head in shame uh, for presiding over increasing unemployment, uh, an estimated seventy percent youth unemployment, uh, recession going into the pandemic. And uh, and no prospect of recovering growth uh, coming and out of the pandemic. Devastation of the government fiscus as well. Devast doubling the debt under Praveen Gordon. Uh, then uh, Ramaphosa sort of setting things up to double the debt again uh, in only four years or four or five years. Uh, you know these these are these are shames, and. None of them, in my view, disqualify the ANC from one day being reintegrated into a perfectly admirable place. Like if it was voted out of office in 2014 and stayed out for the next 10 years and then came back, I see no reason a priori to say that the ANC couldn't do a good job in 2036 of, of, of governing South Africa if it made the necessary changes within its ranks. That's to say I take the ANC seriously as, as like a group agent. Uh, and that means saying that, like, it's got actions, and those actions are some. Most of those, overwhelmingly, those actions of late have been deplorable. Uh, but at the same time, I don't. To say that, I don't have to say that the whole thing is a monster. I don't have to say that the whole thing has been evil and bad, beginning to end. But Ramaphosa and Zuma would prefer that this country stays in a place of team-based thinking, where you're either for the ANC and then everything that it does is good, or you're against the ANC and then everything that it does is bad. And if you think everything that it does is good and you notice reality is pretty bad, then you have to say, well, it's just a few bad apples. Yeah. And I think that's a dangerous – as long as they have us there, they have this country exactly where they want it. They have it in a place where it's very easy to subjugate. It's very easy to twist people's minds. If you can go out and campaign on the thought that if you vote against the ANC, you're voting for apartheid and you're voting against Sol Plyke, then you win the election. And that's how they've won so much, so often in the past, in my view. That's a big part of how it's they've been done a very, it. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a very effective little knife twisting. You're either for the ANC or you're against Sol Plyke. I mean, that's a that's a great gambit. Mm, no, it's a, you know, if you're going to create a world of black and white, that's a pretty good way to cast yourself in that. So <laughs> perhaps not the appropriate uh phrase but you know what i mean um i hear you talking you of, be... talking of black and white shall i read some more yes. of the letter yes no of course, i know mr president old zoom zoom needs to uh oh, remind us of his greatest to... hits yes this guy this is this is how this country was run i know my, mr president my letter will be misconstrued as an attempt to ignore the allegations leveled against me or to attribute every failure of the anc to you Many in white circles that are fond of you and seek to minimize your errors will fill their barrels of ink and sharpen their pens to condemn me for expressing my views. And he's right. People who think of themselves as white, like Peter Bruce, who think all white people should vote the same way and that he's a representative or spokesperson for whiteness, he will sharpen his pen and pour ink to try and excuse Ramaphosa's failures. He's done that consistently for years. Even now during the pandemic, he was sort of saying, basically, Ramaphosa's the last good thing left. The rest you know, of the anti-terror, but my, but my, my technical genius Ramaphosa, he's, he's, he's still a good guy. 
I will, they I will, will say through... that Sorry, go every, ahead. Every, every political group in South Africa, us, our opponents, you know, because there's so little change, uh, at least for the last decade, in the way things are going, everyone is a bit predictable. <laughs> the Peter Bruce is predictable. Uh, the ANC yeah. is predictable. And of course, we could be a bit predictable too, because we always just say the same sort of four important things that need to be done to fix the mess. Uh, yeah. shouting endlessly into the <laughs> void, <laughs> but kind of carry on. <laughs> These white people will, through their infamous grand narrative, write a series of opinion pieces to diminish the significance of the issues I raise. He didn't raise issues. He raised the dead. But anyway, <laughs> in your defense, Mr. President, some in the mainstream media hire opinion makers to formulate negative stories in order to divert attention from the issues I raise as it happened in the past. I expect them to do so. However, they are the least of my considerations at the moment. I do not seek validation or approval from them. My letter does seek to undermine you, does not seek to undermine you at all or attribute every weakness or challenge facing the ANC uh, solely to you. It's not only your fault, hey? Yeah, Mr. President, I, it is unforgivable to label our rank and file members as criminals for the crimes you and those with whom you serve in the structures of the state are accused of. The ANC, the overwhelming majority of them are the poorest of the poor. He goes on to repeat himself. Mr. Letter, your, Mr. President, your letter commits the cardinal error of implicating the ANC in matters that we as leaders and those deployed in the state must account for. To point your sharp stick at the entire ANC and its ordinary working class members is rather low and disappointing to say the least. President, presently formulated, your letter lends credence to the suspicions that you seek to assist those in our own ranks involved in the attempts to destroy the ANC to hand it over to be a tool of white monopoly capital interests. Yeah. <sighs> so I think one of the things about this letter is that if you wanted to kind of get a sense of the sort of pitch perfect uh, pitch to ANC members as the ANC internal discussion goes. This seems pretty much to hit right in the sweet spot in a lot of ways. You know, it's all about putting the movement first, which is a thing that ANC goes on about all the time. Um, it's a thing about not involving the media, right? That's why he starts the thing uh, with, with mm -hmm. I write to privately, even though, of course, he's almost certainly just leaking it. Leaking um, it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he at least pretends as though he didn't. So that's important because it's very powerful in the ANC to say, oh, you're just on the side of the media. And well, in all political parties, actually, to some degree, um, you, you know, he's 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 talking about how we're also noble and we've got all these poor people that we're fighting for. Like you said, he's he's constructing the perfect narrative for internal ANC conflicts to take down Ramaphosa. And okay, and 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 that's why it's so important that he talks here about uh, white monopoly capital and white journalists, because there's another Overton window point here, namely that the best argument for Ramaphosa to come out of Peter Bruce and company is that if you were to replace him, if he were to be deposed, which is clearly now being angled for, there've been calls for his resignation at the conference. Yeah, there was a there was a story about it uh, about how he got attacked at the National Executive Committee of the ANC, um, yeah. and he had to fight off many attacks, basically on his character, on whether he was free from corruption, um, and as to whether he should have criticised the movement in public, which is another thing the ANC is not keen on internally. And, but but so what's the argument been for Ramaphosa? The argument is if you if he comes down, if he's taken down by these kinds of efforts, he'll be replaced with someone worse. David Mabuza, Kosozana Lamini Zuma, Ace Makashula. Yeah. 
etc. So, so Ramaphosa is kind of using the fact that Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa has never dispelled this, by the way. Not once has he said, you know, people keep saying the best thing about me is that I'm the best of a very bad lot. But let me guarantee you that if I had a heart attack tomorrow, uh, God forbid, and died, <laughs> that the country would not fall apart because I, because the ANC's rank and file is deep with talent, merit, and excellence. And I would be dead <laughs> in place. With, Ramaphosa uh, knows when even he can't spin something. <laughs> yeah, but also, it really would, also would hurt his ego. Yeah, if he really believed in what he says, he would be able to say that. What I mean, his other avowed beliefs entail uh, that to be true, but he doesn't say it. And so Zuma's now, after a couple of years, being like, you know what? White people have been saying, like old apartheid-style thinking whiteies like Max Dupre and Peter Bruce have been saying, you are our black person. You are the one that we whiteies want to be our black person in charge. And and you've, yeah. and you've never pushed against that. And and now I'm going to hold that against you. Mm. I'm going to hold that against you because you are now accusing our membership of being corrupt. And uh, and in fact, I wonder whether whether you you've got some skeletons in, in your closet yourself. And I wonder how you can avoid taking blame for what's going on. And this is where I think Ramaphosa Zuma says his best line: "I cannot, in good conscience, attribute the weak state of our movement to you only." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's oh so good. It's like it's like pretending to be humble. It's pretending to be sweet. It's Woo! it's beautiful. It's perfect. This is this is a masterclass in a diss. I cannot, in good conscience, attribute the weak state of our movement to you only. All of us, as leaders, must take responsibility without blaming our members. That is a perfectly true claim. Yeah. Basically, everyone in the ANC leadership should resign. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh you, uh it 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 should be there should be like a light a night of the long knives, which is which is in a in a sort of ancient Roman vein. People don't have to fall on their swords. Uh, they can just write mass letters of resignation. And this is the kind of thing that I'm saying. If the ANC leadership were to do that, if they were to say we have screwed up so badly. That basically we're all going to resign, uh, call a snap election, and uh, run as independent candidates, uh, those of us who still think we deserve a chance, then I think it could rise from the ashes like the phoenix. Uh, I think that's the kind of grand gesture that could, you know, I think in, in that event, the DA or someone would probably win and govern the country for the next five or ten years. And then uh, in, in which time the ANC party apparatus could get its act back together and they could pose a very credible threat. And I think that would be... Dude, if the ANC fell on a sword tomorrow, if ANC leadership fell on a sword tomorrow, I see no problem with them winning in 2029 and, and governing this country for, for 10 years really, really well. But it's not going to happen because because Zuma doesn't really want to take responsibility for what's going on. He's just pointing out the hypocrisy of Ramaphosa also not in, wanting to take responsibility for what's going on because Ramaphosa can point the finger at anyone but himself. Yeah. Uh, it's just sometimes the most effective tactic is not necessarily to push yourself out of the mud. It's just to drag your opponent down into it. Mm. Mm. Oh, Mr. President, this is the opportune time to tell our members whether during the so-called nine wasted years, any of your companies ever did business with the government while you were <laughs> deputy president of our movement in the country. 
This would help uh, you, Mr. President, to dispel this unfortunate allegation sometimes directed at <laughs> It is individuals from the ANC who must bury their heads in shame, not the ANC, our glorious movement. Oh, no, that one's good. That one's good because <laughs> it, it, it hints at that there's some massive corruption scandal, but it doesn't give any details. So it's nice and vague. So it will send everyone who has an ear for these sort of things or an, uh, or an axe to grind with Ramaphosa scurrying to go find out if there are, in fact, those things. And we, we know that there are we some there campaign are. irregularities already. And this we kind of tans- this, this lets yeah. the imagination imagine that it could be even worse than what we do know. Which is... I mean, yeah. Ramaphosa, so here's the thing about Ramaphosa's companies. He's got big money in mining, big money in, in timber, um, big money in in food retail. So let's leave that out. But a lot of his core assets are exactly in the sweet spot of where government intervention dictates the terms of market deals uh, in such a way that if you happen to have one arm in the government and another arm up the sleeve of a business, you can bring those deals together uh, by, 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 you know, making the other side, uh, making the, the, the competing tenders or the competing uh, investors uh, impossible to deal with. And, and, and the straightforward way of explaining that is, I mean, the most obvious way is BEE. Uh, and it is through BEE that Ramaphosa and Chancellor House, the investment arm of the ANC, have done extremely well. Right. Yeah. I'm an investor. I want to buy shares. This other investor wants to buy shares. Okay. I'm black and I'm politically connected. So if you give, if if I get to buy your shares, then I'm much less likely. The ANC is much less likely. The government's much less likely to regulate this industry in a way that's going to harm your business later on. Uh, and and Anthea Jeffrey's book BEE, helping or hurting, uh, lists so many examples, particularly in the mining sector, where arbitrary discretionary powers were abused. In exactly yeah. this way, to send a message uh, that if you if you don't play ball with us, uh, we're going to freeze your 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 rights to renew your mineral rights once mineral rights have all effectively been nationalised. Uh, we're going to move the goalposts on what the BE requirements are in terms of ownership, equity management, uh, skills development, uh, community upliftment, and so on. There are there are there are many different. Uh, sort of levers to pull. And Ramaphosa, while he was deputy president, was the second most powerful person in the country with his hand on those levers, uh, in particularly in, in his role being in charge of the Minimum Wage Council, which uh, you know resulted in setting up a minimum wage equal to the median wage so that half of the South African workforce effectively becomes illegal. But who was it good for? It was good for uh, you know unionists who, who wage bargain on the basis of what the minimum wage is what the national minimum wage is. Yeah. So, Ram- so Ramaphosa was exactly the kind of guy that you want to have owning part of your business because then he's less likely to draft or support legislation that's going to undermine your business. And also, um, he could ensure that ministers, when there are discretionary powers, don't uh, enact vengeance upon you for some sort of slight that the government receives you. It protects you um, because, like, as you normally can see at Ramaphosa. Yeah, who, what happens at Marikana when Lonman, which was one of the most abused before the thing, before before the Marikana attacks, by the way, Lonman is one of Jeffrey's key cases of discretionary powers being used to to to, to smack a business, uh, and then they they get in their partners, things start easing up, uh, and what happens when there's a major strike? One of the first people they call is Ramaphosa because they're hoping for political cover, uh, which he for, gives to them. 
but putting down a strike, which he gives to them. Yeah. Um, it's it's also worth noting that one of the worst cases of police action against a trade union in South Africa's history was against a non-ANC-aligned union. Correct. Mr. President, the ANC and the entire anti-apartheid movement always faced the threat of infiltration. <laughs> At different times during our struggle, our movement discovered spies and enemy agents commonly called Izimpimpi within its ranks. However, not once was the ANC ever accused of selling out merely because there were sellouts within its ranks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, yes, one, of the, one, of, one of the extra is, nasty things about this accusation is that what, what is the traditional way in the, in the party to deal with an impimpi? Mm, necklace. necklace that, the original, one of the great South African inventions uh, or innovations. And, uh, and I have tirelessly for the last three years tried to remind people that Jacob Zuma's the, the new Jacob Zuma's game started in 2002-2003 when uh, Sheikh was charged, the NPA, Bulalani and Luka was in charge of the National Public Prosecuting Authority and they were going after the arms deal fiasco scandal. And the very first salvo that Zuma shot back via, who was it, Ranjani Munasami, was to, yeah. accuse, was to accuse the head of the NPA, Bulalani and Luka, of being in Pimpi, of being an apartheid-era spy. It was a very useful way of beginning the white monopoly capital narrative because you're not accusing this guy of just being a white racist. You're going to something which touches people much more on their feelings of being a race traitor, of being yeah. an apartheid-era spy. And they gave a fake spy number, and then the person with that actual spy number came forward, and then it turned out the whole story was hogwash. But that accusation of Bulalani and Luka somehow being an anti-black racist, even though he himself is black, it never went away. And this is the last... This is the Trump in the race deck of, of cards. The Trump card is to say, for one black person to say to another black person, I'm authentically black and you are Zimpimpi. And yeah, what Zuma is doing here is he's introducing, he's introducing this line, having just said to Ramaphosa, I can't say that it's all your fault, but I can <laughs> say that there's a lot of white people that like you, and I can say that people must look into your dealings when you were deputy president, and I can say that white monopoly capital is what you, you're throwing this country into the hands of. Now let me just introduce a nice old Zulu word, Izimpimpi. At different times during our struggle, the, we, we have always faced the threat of infiltration. At different times during our struggle, our movement discovered spies and enemy agents within its ranks. Maybe the president <laughs> himself is an enemy agent within his ranks. This is a perfect, like, this is the most perfect example of narrowing the Overton window because it makes the heart, the battle for policy and personnel decisions about how this yeah. country should be run and who should run it go from one about the national interest to the ANC interest and then go from that to do, are you for the ANC or against the ANC or are you in an such NPP? a way that you can't possibly criticize the ANC, it's only individuals, or are you actually an impimpi, or are you for the ANC? This becomes the final uh, psychological dichotomy to put someone in. This is when you paint it into the corner. It's no longer, I'm either for the ANC or I'm against Sol Plaiki. It's now, I'm either for the ANC or I am izimpimpi. I myself am an agent of apartheid police forces. 
that are killing black people wantonly. Yeah. Dude, this and guy's a genius. This guy is a genius. He knows yeah, he is. this has been you his know, whole life. One of the great regrets, I think, of South Africa is that rather than ending up going to some fancy school uh, overseas to study the next breakthrough in physics, uh, Zuma ended up becoming a political operator and a spy boss. Yeah. Because the country has suffered as a result. Yeah, he is a very, very intelligent man. And I don't know about physics, but I think if he had gone... <laughs> if he had gone I think to the right he, kind of school, if he hadn't been, you know, born into kind of abject poverty, if maybe some someone had discovered that he was actually as, as clever as he is and then given him some massive scholarship to go off to, you know, some top school somewhere, he might be curing diseases or something now instead of using his smarts to twist this country into a horrible knot of... Uh, infighting and corruption and chaos but i you see i think zuma's genius is is his ability to read people mm. and he knows he has ramaposa where he wants him and he knows he has the anc where he wants it when he manages to narrow down the possibilities in this way or uh, it's, it's very much like the the old bailey uh in london if you get executed in the old bailey first you stay down in the basement and then when you walk from your final place of rest to the gallows you go around this corridor and there are some archways in the corridor and uh, every five meters or three meters they get narrower and narrower so you have to crouch further and further to get through and the idea was to sort of make you feel very small before you look up at the yeah. blue sky and pray to god to yeah. ask for forgiveness you get humbled you get humbled before you're killed he does the same thing he makes you walk round and round and the archways get smaller and narrower and smaller and narrower First, it's like you're for the ANC or against the ANC until you get to that point where it's either you are f you are for defending this idea of the ANC or you yourself are in Pimpi. And he, he, I think if Zuma had had uh, had gone to a very good school and had gone to a good university, I think he could have been a writer. I think he could have been a Nobel Prize winning writer. I think he knows. I think he understands people and he understands maybe, the the maybe culture. He could have been a Gabriel Krauser. Jesus. No, dude, he understands people much better than me and is, and is much more persuasive. This guy, this, by this stage of his letter, I think Ramaphosa was ready to eat out of Zuma's hands and ask him for very good advice. It is cold comfort that you later in your letter attempt to say that you're not accusing every ANC member. It is clear that indeed you do accuse each and every member of the ANC itself for crimes of a few deployed within the structures of the state who may be abusing the resources. Now, the last, I suppose we should be wrapping up here. The last place I want to take this is Justice Malala, uh, who's a very scathing critic of the ANC and uh, a respected writer. I, I like to follow his work. He has made exactly this argument that every single member of the ANC is guilty of corruption. And the reason is uh, that the ANC has become not only corrupt, but knowably corrupt. So that if you're still voting for it, you yourself are enabling the corruption. The same yeah. argument is made against uh, quote-unquote good Germans who continue to vote for the National Socialist Party of Germany, not the Nazi Party. The same argument is made for, uh, you know, okay, let's just leave it at those two. The point is that at a certain point, if you know that a party, if a group is doing something bad and you continue to support it in the hopes that one day it will do good, you, are, you have gone from uh, being a reformer if you're not putting the obstacle in its way and the ultimate obstacle is to vote against it to becoming an enabler. And that's part of Justice yeah, it's Malala's like, it's argument. Like other... your, it's like giving your, your drug-addicted child uh, constant bailouts 
uh, and so that they never actually face the consequences of their own problems. Yeah. The, the other part of Justice Malala's argument is that at this stage, if you look at if you if you if you look around before an, uh, before a national election at who is the actual ANC members, so not the sort of twelve million people who voted for it, but the six hundred thousand to a million people who are actually members. At this stage, pretty much everyone is plugged in somehow to the patronage network. Not absolutely everyone, uh, but so but many. An awful of, lot. Uh, an awful, awful only, lot. You can read a lot of news stories about how violent ANC branch meetings can get because. It matters if you're even being chair of an ANC branch in some small Soweto ward in a very poor part of the country, um, for example, um, can get you significant benefits from from effectively, ultimately, the taxpayer that you would otherwise not be able to access. And, the, and, 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 and I think it's telling that Zuma won't recognize that Ramaphosa wasn't making this argument. Justice Malala was making this argument. He won't recognize black writers, and he won't recognize anyone outside of the ANC's frame of reference. Well, he did uh, recognize but he them. Does... He just called them clever blacks who think they know too much. Right, or but in this instance. Yeah. yeah, and that was the last that he did. That's like all he has to say. You know, if you, if you are black and you're not thinking inside this Overton window, then you then you're just not even worth taking seriously because you're just one of those people who's lost sense of your culture. Mm. But I think it's I think it's I mean I just want to you accuse each and every member of the ANC itself for the crimes of a few deployed in the structures of the state who may be abusing resources and betraying the revolution in the ANC itself for the crimes of a few deployed by the structures of the state. I mean it gets a little bit repetitive there but it's but it's actually a perfectly correct sentiment. And the only other writer I know who who assents to it is Gareth van Onselen, our former colleague at the Institute of Race Relations. He's one of the very few writers who's happy to go out and say, consistently, I mean, everyone else does this once in a while, maybe, but Gareth van Onselen consistently says, I've got a problem with South Africans. This is not just like a great country being run by a corrupt elite. Like there's something very deeply problematic about South Africans continuing to vote the ANC into power. He does accuse ordinary ANC voters of the corruption of the elite because you know the elite are corrupt and you keep voting for them, you are then also part of the problem. And I think he's very correct to do so. I would like to say amen to both Gareth van Onsenen and uh, <laughs> Justice Malala and Jacob Zuma. I think they are all correct. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think it's a bad action that is totally redeemable. I don't think that a person who's done it like their whole character is, 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 is squashed to nothing. I think a lot of people have had a lot of good reasons to vote for the ANC. Uh, did, as I said, good good work uh, until 2007. And since then, it's continued to deliver for many uh, a, a life that was so far beyond what they'd expected 20 years ago that uh, people were willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, and so the real question is, once that benefit of the doubt has been taken away, what do you have left? Will you only have craven corrupt interests or or stupidity and madness or learning from your environment and then going out and trying something different. And I kind of hope that I hope that uh, what Jacob Zuma said here, if you if you peel away the Overton window stuff and you actually look at the good points that he makes, I think he makes a very compelling case to vote against the ANC uh, going <laughs> forward. And and I would like to have a t-shirt 
that says, you know, I'm going to vote against the ANC. I was a childhood lover of the ANC, and I'm going to vote against the ANC in 2021 and 2024. I'm not sure because Jacob Zuma. <laughs> No, leave out the childhood lover. I'm going to vote against the ANC because because Kisa, uh, the one who laughs at his enemies, uh, he said I should do so uh, because uh, yeah, I mean that is that is the only sane conclusion I can draw from this is that it is time for the ANC to go. Even Jacob Zuma has gotten to the point where he's saying it. He's saying that the leader is an impimpi. The leader is saying that everyone else is corrupt. I mean, what other logical conclusion is there? Well. We can at least say that, uh, that there's at least a, uh, if you were a betting man, it would be reasonable to suggest that uh, Ramaphosa might be out before the ANC is out. And that's going to that be the will, fun story of the next couple of years. And that will only accelerate. Uh, and, and this is where uh, Bruce and those guys are wrong. The, the, before 2017, the question was, does South Africa have to get worse before it gets better? Because there was a chance that Ramaphosa was a genuine reformer, that he would take over, kick out... The, the corrupt, drive the honest communists into bureaucratic positions where they just have to check the numbers in the books and get real pragmatists in charge. And then we could have just gotten better. But then once Ramaphosa took over, made expropriation without compensation a signature policy, said there are no farm murders, refused to comment on the frog boiling thing, basically allowing it to stand as his position, uh, as a race beta. It was clear that this country has to get worse before it gets better. And once you and once you realize it has to get worse before it gets better, which it has been and will continue to do, then the question becomes: What is the how how can we make it get worse for the shortest amount of time possible? And and so my position has shifted this year. Before this year, I very much, or before twenty eighteen, before the end of twenty eighteen, I very much would have stood up for Ramaphosa and said, you know, maybe he does need to bend things around. Maybe even if we don't like him, we should stick up for him because we don't want a David Mabuza taking over. But at this stage, I think, yeah, let let's let Ramaphosa go. Let the confront country confront the fact that the ANC has run out not only of good ideas, but it's also run out of good uh salespersons. It's also and, incapable of focusing on anything that's not itself at this point. Yeah, and then let's go forward from there. The uh, the, the, the only alternative is that this country is not really a country and that we've just been deluding ourselves into thinking it is a country and then logic doesn't matter and like uh, two crickets is basically just an exercise in futile you know reasoning where reasoning is just a, a very dry form of poetry you be the judge so let's conclude with uh, some recommendations what would you like to recommend you start off Nick Right, so I need to find it now. Um, but basically, okay. there I'll... was an interesting. No, no, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, there was an interesting article uh, written relatively recently about the U.S. election. It was written on a website called The Bulwark, which I'm usually not an enormous fan of. Uh, but in this particular instance, I thought it was quite an interesting article. It's called "Is Kenosha? This is the town where there's been rioting in the U.S. recently. A warning for the Biden campaign." Listening to swing state voters in Arizona and North Carolina. It's by someone called Sarah Longwell. Um, it basically just talks about like different perceptions of the U.S. election and uh, how people look at kind of Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing. Um, it's quite interesting. It'll inform you, I think, a lot on the U.S. election and where people's heads actually are at um, and, and see how the two sides narratives are not necessarily uh, that helpful in understanding the election. Anyway, Gabriel? Um, my recommendation is... 
Hillary Mantle's Wolf Hall. It's not a recommendation. It's just what I'm reading right now, and it's got me pretty gripped. Um, I've I've got I've got another one, which is uh, a book about physics, which just came back across my radar and is probably my favorite pop book about physics. Um, it's called Reality is Not What It Seems: The Journey to Quantum <laughs> Gravity. It's it's by Carlo Rovelli, and uh, you can pair it with a book that, uh, that I read at the start of lockdown about mathematics, uh, Perelman's Conjecture, which was the first. Uh, uh, or, no, it's sorry, it's about Perelman, the guy who solved the first sort of uh, of the ten maths problems of the 21st century and if you solve one of the problems then you get a million dollars famously this russian guy solved it and then uh and then didn't collect the money uh, but both of these books are, are are about the idea that that space and time are not shaped at right angles in the way that you draw on a euclidean graph you know sort of graph that you do in school um but what carlo Rovelli does really well is that He's an Italian, and he's got a he's got a flair for the words, and he goes back to some of the ancients. Democritus is his favorite, but also um, uh, that great poet, sort of great poet of physics, whose name is escaping me right now. And and he basically it's a very sorry, crowded field. That it's a very crowded. Yeah, I know a listener out there is going to know who I'm talking about, and I'll, and and they should remind us, and I'll feel embarrassed for not remembering it right now. But basically, the point is that he uses he uses poetry. And one or two equations and really good prose to spell out how we have come to think about our world in a way which is much more like how people thought about the world two and a half thousand years ago than at any time in between uh, mm -hmm. at the level of sort of how space and time are coordinated. And and I think there's something very interesting about how sometimes we get more and more and more complicated and we get lost in these uh you know, these little, the Overton windows kind of narrow around particular claims and people get very sort of, are you for this or against this? Are you for P-strings? Are you for this sort of uh, breakdown of quantum mechanics? Or are you for uh, general relativity defining the quantum field or not? And before that, uh, conservation of energy, uh, uh, kinetic sort of Newtonian mechanics, all turned out to be wrong, but very useful idealizations. There's a way in which as we get more and more complicated, um, we in some ways get further and further from the truth. We find some useful things that are kind of far from the truth. And eventually, if we're lucky, we can come full circle and the most sophisticated ideas become just uh, analyses, which is to say ways of spelling out uh, the very simplest ideas of all. And I think Ravelli does a really good job of doing that. And if that sounds like a little bit mystical and silly, I should also say that he's a very serious physicist and that his uh, his, his 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 book central argument is that gravity uh, is the is the best sort of control factor for all of the other coordinates that we might have, that sort of everything is a distribution in the wave in the g wave. and And that kind of idea was given a lot of uh, empirical support most recently by the sort of discovery of gravity waves or the detection of gravity waves. So, I th you know, I think he's on, I think he's onto a good argument about how to reconcile the laws of the very big with the laws of the very small, which is a, which is a topic that uh, has, has motivated most yeah. pop physics for the last 30 years um, or 50 years. But on top of that, he's, 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 he's one of the best prose writers. He's sort of much, he's much more fluid than Stephen Hawking uh, or, or that, 
or Fried, Freeman, this American guy. Anyway, so that's my record. Cool. All right. The reali well, we'll yeah, reality is not what it seems. And 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 as it happens, it goes, does kind of turn into turn back into our idea. You know, if a straight line is not a straight line, then maybe this country is not a country. And uh, and <laughs> we should all give up trying to understand any of it. Yeah, no, I gave up trying to understand everything a long time ago. Uh, it's all just a little bit too complicated. Anyway, no, with that. Saying, stop, stop trying to understand anything at all. Nothing. Nothing makes sense. Hey, you know, that sounds like it all. Uh, I mean, it might make me unemployed, but it uh, sounds like a good time. Anyway, uh, we'll catch everyone next time. Uh, have a wonderful week, everyone. And uh, keep that flag of liberty flying. Cheers. Grr, grr.